Welcome to the Summit for Wellness podcast, where we help you climb to the peak of your health. And now, here is your host, Brian Carroll. When you or someone you know receives a cancer diagnosis, it can be a shocking moment. In most cases, everything starts to happen quickly. You get the diagnosis, and in your stunned state, the doctor starts walking you through the treatment process, timeline for everything, and what to expect. In most cases, you are scheduled to start receiving chemo or radiation, which are usually pretty harsh treatments to go through. Not often do you hear of other cancer treatments that can be very effective. What's up, everyone? I'm Brian Carroll, and I'm here to help people move more, eat well, and be adventurous. And today, Dr. Lori Bouchard will be teaching us all about different approaches to cancer treatment than just chemo and radiation. During this interview, I had written down an entire page of notes, which doesn't happen often for me. So let's jump into my conversation with Dr. Lori. Dr. Lori Bouchard is a cancer-focused naturopathic doctor in Oakville, Ontario, and she is the author of Live Longer and Stronger with Breast Cancer. Her book is written as a step-by-step guide to help women fight their cancer more effectively, and she is a successful entrepreneur and is the owner of Oakville's most innovative naturopathic healing center, which has been helping men and women reverse complicated diseases for over a decade. Thank you for coming onto the show, Dr. Lori. Hi, Brian. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. And I would love to learn a little bit more about your background and uh, what got you into naturopathic medicine. And uh, one of your big focuses is on cancer. So I'd love to learn how you got into that path. Okay. So for me personally, I was raised by a mother who was very naturopathic. Um, So by that, I mean, I was literally never brought into a medical doctor. Um, I was given tons of vitamins, given lots of bean sprouts as a child, lots of um, just a lot of nutrition. And my mother always told me, you know, your body is amazing and has this ability to heal itself. So I always looked at myself as almost an outcast. Like, how come my friends can go to the doctors and get medicine and be on antibiotics like that's the way that my mind thought as a young child that it was almost like a privilege to be able to go to be going to these doctor visits so Mm. as i yeah it was very different anyway so as (laughs) (laughs) so growing up um i was rarely sick like hardly ever sick myself um and so um i learned more and more just seeing the people around me who were getting chronic ear infections, their appendix out, just feeling off that I said, okay, maybe there's some truth to this. Like no one really wants to believe what their mother tells them. But um, when I was in high school, I, it was at that point where I decided, okay, I need to search. I knew I wanted to get into healthcare field um, and I want to see uh, more of the holistic view at it. And so when I, when I looked into naturopathic medicine, everything really just clicked. So using acupuncture, botanical medicine, um, nutrition, um, anything clinically that's very natural to the body and using our own innate abilities to heal just resonated with me um, huge. So it was my mother, I'd say, is that one that kind of just primed me into where I am now. Um, So now, so after four years of naturopathic school, I opened up my own clinic in Oakville. And so I'm the owner of We have basically an international healing center where people fly in from all over um, and they'll spend at least one week, could be several weeks to help deal with um, their chronic conditions. So 
I also found too, when I first opened up my own clinic that just these one hour appointments were not enough to really change people's lives. Like they would have these really um, chronic issues that have been developing for years. And so seeing them once, maybe once a month or once every other week, I just, it just became very frustrating. So I changed the whole style of the clinic to be more of a, um, more of a hands-on approach where they literally spend nine to five every day in the clinic doing various therapies, which I'm sure we'll, we'll get into later. Um, and then as far as cancer specifically, that is something I never in a million years thought I would dive in deep to because it's a very, to me in school, it was a very intimidating field. Um, I just felt too, it was a depressing field. I never, um, I just very intimidated by it. Um, so it was my first month out of school that in practice that I had my first cancer patient. And I can still remember to this day, he came in in a wheelchair, like slumped over. His wife was with him. And he, um, he said, okay, I've been every, I've done everything my oncologist told me to do conventional medicine. And they basically gave me a month to live. So I'm here for your help. And so I'm thinking like, are you, flipping serious. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like that's a lot of, that's a lot of pressure. Um, and so I, um, at that point I felt like, wow, this is pretty exciting. Like that they came to me after they've done everything. Like, why, why did you come to me? Like thinking I'm the one that's going to help save your life. Right. And so I asked the wife and like, what was it about me personally that really gravitated you to come here? And she said, well, actually, you were the only naturopathic clinic where his wheelchair could get through the door. <laughs> so, oh, wow. so that for me was a kind of, I, I knew that I was very new in practice, but at the same time, he is the, so this was 10 years ago at this point, he was the reason why um, I just started to look at cancer very differently. So his, his motivation to live um, and his drive was unlike anyone I have ever met or seen in my life. He said, I am not ready to die. I need to do everything I can. I will listen to everything you say. And when I asked him the reasons why, like, why, like, why do you want to, why do people want to live longer? Like, what is it that's really, what, where's their mindset at? Um, he said, I just want to be around until December when my first grandchild will be born. And this was in May. And so he said, I just want like six more months seven more months and even maybe to reach the spring and then I can golf again. Like he was just listing certain things that he wanted, like why he wanted to live. Um, and so for him, like given a month palliative, like he was basically sent home to die. Um, I busted my ass for this patient. I learned everything there was to do with cancer. I traveled all over the world. Um, I looked at what other, what other cancer clinics were doing, like what's been shown effective. I looked at all the research. Um, and what was really unique too is because I, I, I look at more of a functional approach to medicine and the body, we're not just blasting can or a chemo or radiation. We're looking at, okay, why, what makes the body healthy? What's preventing the healthy growth of normal cells? Um, why do these cancer cells develop? Um, and so this patient specifically, he um, just passed away this this past June. Um, so we gave him eight years longer than wow. 
So eight years. And so he, he was actually the biggest, um, I want to say like walking advertisement for the clinic. I did no marketing, like zero. I, di I really didn't even at this point think I was going to be a cancer doctor or, or focus in on cancer. But he just, when you, when he, basically when he's walking around saying this naturopath saved my life, like that's, everyone kind of floods in at that point. <laughs> so um, I would see people all over the spectrum from recently diagnosed to given a month left to live, or a lot of people also do chemo radiation and then just use our integrative care just to help support, support their body throughout. So when you ask like why cancer, I would say it's specifically that one patient. He's, he changed everything. And I love that you approached by asking him you know, what's your goals to live? What, why mm -hmm. do you want to continue with life? Because I'm assuming when most people go to all these uh, big cancer clinics, they're basically just another number because they have so many people coming through the door at this point. Yes. And that is a huge, huge mindset game. So there's actually studies. If you believe that you're going to live and you are hopeful and optimistic, your chances of survival are actually increased versus someone who's very pessimistic. They And I am shocked actually on how many times doctors or oncologists tell these patients, oh, you have a month left. Oh, just pack your affairs. Like you're done. Like, and people believe it. And so that mindset is huge. So when you have a huge motivating factor of why you want to get well, I mean, the sky's the limit. And to ever believe what someone tells you, like, it's almost like they're playing God. Like, how, how do people know? How do people know how long you have left on this earth, right? It's So for him, he defied all... Um, he defied everything. So when he was literally in his charts, like deceased, because he was just so in critical care, they said, if you do one more chemo treatment, like you're, we will kill you. So at that point, like for his, I believe a big part of it was his mindset. And he just had so much love for his family. And he said, I will do everything. Like he was just such a positive person. And throughout the whole decade that I knew him, he never once complained. Like he never, he's, it like it was it's unbelievable and so i see that trait in more and more people that have cancer like the ones that are really strong and fighting and say no this is this is not i'm not going to be defined by this diagnosis i'm still going to do everything i can to get my body strong like the power in that is phenomenal so i love seeing patients like that where they actually are invested and they want to do everything they can to be strong so when the people that come in that are, oh yeah, my brother told me to come in here and just to see what you have to offer, or they don't really believe themselves that they're gonna gonna make it. Um, I feel like my job, like I can't offer as much. It's it's just that defeated attitude that um, they have to break that barrier because there's there's not much you can do, right? If you if you feel genuinely your heart, you're gonna be gone. Like you probably will be. And you gave him eight years with his grandkid, which is awesome. Yeah. And he had, I think six grand, he got to meet six grandchildren. So oh, wow. it's pretty cool. Yeah. And on it, yeah, he's a very special person. So, um, yeah, I, I give a lot of credit. Like he says, Oh, you saved my life. He tells everyone that, but honestly it was his, it, like his drive, like everything that we did together just resonated so well. And he was just such an inspiring person. So I gave him the tools, but for him to apply it and do everything was pretty phenomenal. So probably 10 to 15 years ago, cancer was not talked about like it is now. Um, and now it seems like every single person knows someone that 
has cancer or maybe they've experienced it themselves. Um, what percent of the population is going to develop cancerous cells? So that's a really, really good question because there was um, a study done by a doctor named um, Kobayashi and he screened about a thousand asymptomatic adults to see what their cells look like. And he said only one out of the 1,000 adults were completely cancer-free. So what oh. that means is that every single one of us have cancer cells at all times. So it depends on how the strength of our immune system is on how our body is able to fight that. So by the time that a cancer is found and diagnosed, that could be literally 10 years in the making. So it's all these things that we do on a daily basis that basically gets our immune system to kill off these abnormal cells is where the power is. So to think, okay, 70% of us have precancerous cells at all times, we need to look at our body as, okay, what can we do that is constantly fighting these abnormal cells? Because we know that we all have them. And uh, when you do have cancer cells, like if you have an active tumor in the body, is that originating from one cell or is that like a cluster of cells that have gone haywire in the system? Yeah, exactly. So we all really, they say about five to 10% of cancers are truly genetic. So that's a really low, low amount. Um, when, when it comes to proliferation, it takes about 30 doublings to actually produce a gram um, or a billion cells basically. So for them to even detect something. So it's all of these um, daily insults that we have on the body that turns these what are called oncogenes on. So if we all have the capability of healthy cells turning into abnormal cells, um, just know that we all have that in us. So these we have genes called tumor suppressor genes, these oncogenes, anything that's switching um, the cell expression is something that we have a lot of we have a lot of power over. And then you had mentioned uh, when cancer is found in someone, then it could be already eight to 10 years old. Um, so for full-fledged cancer, let's say stage four cancer, what is the, the growth duration for uh, cancer at that level? And then what also influences the growth of cancer cells? Okay, so there's so many theories on why cancer grows in the body. The one that I... Um, talk about a lot in my own practice is more of the metabolic approach. So if you think of what um, affects the mitochondria in the cell, so that's kind of like the energy centers of the cell, you look at um, environmental factors. So um, smoking, um, alcohol, anything that's creating more free radical damage. So um, pesticides, pollutants, um, radiation. So even people who say, oh, I've been eating healthy my entire life, like this makes no sense. Why do I have cancer now? We can actually look at what is their exposure to radiation? And we know Wi-Fi is a huge thing now. Um, none of us can be immune from anything that's causing this abnormal cell growth. So um, people who fly a lot, like they're going to be exposed to more. I actually see a lot of pilots in my practice. So people who are just up in the air, that we know that being up in the air, you're exposed to higher radiation levels. Um, all of those mutations um, actually turn, turn tumor suppressor genes off. And so then it's making those cells proliferate faster. Um, 
So UV light is another one. Um, any kind of virus too. So there's a lot of cancers that are linked to um, specific bacteria. So if you think of H. pylori in the stomach, it, you have more chances of getting gastro um, gastric cancer, um, HPV and cervical cancer. So viruses and bacteria, anything that's um, affecting our immune system, your chances of it developing into abnormal cells and into a cancer is significantly higher. Super interesting. So there's a lot of different factors that go into it. So uh, when people are sitting there trying to figure out like the one, you know, the one yes. reason yes. why someone get, gets cancer, it's it's there's too many options. There's so many. I mean, I just did a talk recently in front of a really big group of women who all have cancer and I could see like they wanted me to talk about nutrition and what nutritionally we can do. And I saw a lot of frustration in the room because these are very intelligent women who um, are nutritionists themselves, or they are physical therapists or any like in the health field. And they say, it makes no sense. I have been healthy my whole life, eating well, and I still have cancer. And I think that's the problem. Like our definition of what healthy is, is not clearly defined. So we think, oh, because we haven't been diagnosed with, we don't get bronchitis, or we don't put an actual label on our sickness, they think that they're healthy. So it's not just the absence of having a disease that makes us healthy. So nutrition is one piece of the puzzle. Absolutely. But then we put in, okay, there's a piece that's genetic. And then we also think of environmental toxicity. How does our liver clean out these toxins often, right? Like what is happening on a hormone level? The other thing that's huge is how our body deals with stress. So if you have the best lifestyle when it comes to diet and you're taking detox supplements all the time and you're exercising, doing everything right, but if you have a really high stress job or stressful relationships, your cortisol is going to be through the roof and that's that alone suppresses your immune system. So there's no way that your body can fight abnormal cell growth if you have cortisol that's super high and you have a very high stress life. So that's that's a big part of it as well. So when you think someone diagnosed with cancer, of course your stress is going to be a lot higher. Like any doctor's appointment visits or imaging or results coming back, like that's why in the clinic we do a lot as far as mind-body medicine because even stressing about certain things, we know that you're more likely to develop disease. And stressing about having cancer probably doesn't help either in trying to figure out um you know, when the doctor tells you you have one month to live, trying to figure out how to get everything in order for your family and friends and everything else, that probably doesn't help with the stress part either. Absolutely. But I find that if you can turn those anxieties and those stressors into more actionable plans, so we, I see every, like anyone that's coming into the clinic, they have a lot of fear behind their diagnosis. Or even if cancer's in their family, they'll come in and say, hey, I want a plan. So I don't develop this myself. So even though there's a lot of anxiety around it, I think even having that, those steps of learning about your body and turning it into more, um, turning that fear into more of an action can actually help with the, the anxiety that's involved. Because if someone tells you you have this diagnosis and this is what's going to happen, your natural response is to have a higher cortisol release. But if you know that your body reacts like that and you know that it's more anticipating fear and anxiety, then implying the strategies that help your body metabolize cortisol better and to help with stress is going to do, it, I, I think that surpasses everything. Because you're right, if you're, if you're 
stressed all the time about it. Like we need to have resolutions on how we can actually um, protect our system. So then we're not um, causing even more stress on the body. So since we're talking about cortisol, there was a theory a few years ago um, where they were thinking that cancer cells potentially had insulin receptors on the cells as well. So when um, there's excess blood sugar in the body or just sugar in general, then that could go directly into the cancer cells and help with growth of that. Um, have you seen anything along those lines? Is that still a theory that's out there or what yes, do you think? Yes, absolutely. And so um, it's interesting because from a glucose and a blood blood sugar metabolism perspective, um, there's certain drugs that are used off-label now for cancer care. So for example, um, there's a diabetic drug called metformin um, that they're applying for breast cancer patients because when you regulate how glucose is being absorbed into the system, um, that's actually going to affect how cells proliferate as well. So we all know that um, or we, we just know in the science of cancer, um, cancer cells have four to five times more insulin receptors. So they just love sugar, right? Um, and because the, the mitochondria in the cells are not as effective, um, they're horrible energy producers. So you actually make 20 times less energy from cancer cells because they go through a fermentation process and just do not um, produce as much ATP versus our healthy cells. So it's interesting when it comes to even sugars, um, when patients have PET scans and they drink this glucose, this sugar drink, um, and then they go through imaging, all of their cancer cells just fire up. And that's because we have like I said, five times more of these insulin receptors on those cells. So they're saying, hey, give me the sugar. Like this is exactly how, this is my fuel. I need this fuel to replicate and to live. So there's a huge correlation between how your body is metabolizing sugar and using sugars and how cancer cells grow. Wow. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. And um, I don't know if there's reasoning behind this when people are going through uh, different cancer treatments like radiation and chemo. But it seems like a lot of times when you go in for those treatments, they're supplying um, uh, foods and drinks that are very high in sugar. So what's oh, your thoughts on that? It's disgusting. <laughs> it's actually, <laughs> it's absolutely disgusting. I was actually with a patient um, a few months ago in ICU just to support however I can. And I was mortified of the stuff that he was getting through the feeding tube. It, the first ingredient on this food, quote food, was glucose corn syrup. So when you, when anyone, even when someone doesn't have cancer, when you just have a cold or do you general well-being, would you ever give liquid corn syrup to anybody? Like, and I get it from, okay, they want to keep their energy up and the glucose and the carbohydrates are higher, but there is so much misinformation on nutrition and cancer. So in the hospitals, I would say it's the worst because they don't, they think of just survival and let's just keep calories in this person. They don't look at, okay, what actual nutrition does the body need to stay healthy and to build a healthy immune system? There's no, there's no look at that. Um, there was 10, I met 10 of the oncologists in um, the, the nearby hospital here. Only one of them who is in charge of ICU. Um, he's a specialist in cancer. And he, um, only one out of the 10 was saying there is a huge issue with this problem. He said there needs to be a nutrition wing in this hospital dedicated to what patients are supposed to eat. 
because it's actually mortifying. Um, I've even hold, I've even heard some patients um, tell them, yeah, just eat Doritos, just have sugar. Like, doesn't matter what you're eating at this point. Um, just eat whatever you want. Like it. So for the health model to actually say that, like, it's so it's very disturbing. Like, it just makes me my blood boil because we know there's so much that you can do, um, especially from a sugar glucose standpoint. Yeah, I remember when my grandpa was going through cancer treatment and he was losing a lot of weight. So they told him, um, go home and eat as much ice cream as you possibly can. (laughs) And we (laughs) exactly we know we know that that's um, for anyone that just doesn't make any make any sense. And it's interesting because most um, cancer patients have something called insulin resistance. So their body just does not deal well with the sugar in general, but they tend to crave it. So like I said, with um, taking in sugar and just not producing as much energy from that, because they're so tired throughout the whole cancer journey, they are going to crave those sugars more. And I'm sure your grandma was like, very excited about having to eat sugar or have the ice cream all the time because that is something that they'll crave. Like if you're feeling low energy, you're going to want that fuel. Like most people who who are tired or just not well, they want that quick energy source to say, okay, let's get my body going. Let's have more carbs or generally people do crave more breads um, or sugars just to try to get their energy up. But really it's um, a vicious cycle because it's not, it's not going to produce the energy that these, these cancer cells are just incapable of doing. And so let's talk about some of the treatments. So you have the harsh approaches, which is the radiation and can, uh, chemo. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm curious, is there a time and place where that is necessary and you would use it or what's your thoughts around those harsher, uh, approaches, treatment approaches? Mm-hmm. You know what? And that's a really tricky question because um, there are some chemos that are actually very effective for certain cancers. So if you asked me this 10 years ago, I would say absolutely not. There's no way I would subject anyone to chemo radiation um, just because of how damaging it is to your system. Um, it actually it doesn't affect stem cells. So you're not getting to the root cause of the cancer. Um, so I, I would say the damage back then does not outweigh the benefits that it could have. Um, in the past 10 years, I have seen where I do, I do more of an integrative approach because for certain cancers, it is quite successful. Um, you do see the tumor shrink. Um, but the problem is if you do those therapies and only do those therapies, um, the oxidative stress that you put on the body and just how it's affecting your immune system, it's affecting your lymphatic, your spleen, your kidneys, literally every organ in your body is damaged after chemo. Um, if you don't, if you don't work on picking up the pieces afterwards, your cancer will come back. And I see that time after time where someone would say, oh, yeah, I did chemo three years ago. I was cured. I was told that I my cancer is gone. They didn't change anything in their life. They kept with the same diet they had before, the same stressors. And then they come into my office and they say now, "Okay, the cancer is everywhere. What do I do? So when someone does chemo and radiation, I'd say that is the time to really evaluate your life and say, okay, why did my cancer grow in the first place? What was going on? What do I need to change? So then I have a stronger system and there's no way that this cancer can come back. 
So I don't, I don't tell people not to do chemo or radiation. I, um, there's some cases where I say, okay, whether your kidneys are failing and you would not be a good candidate. And I'm sure like they just know that, or the oncologist would tell them that, um, as well, or because of their age, like there's many reasons why maybe they wouldn't do chemo and radiation, but for the most part, um, if they do it, we just know that it's such a toxic treatment that there's months, if not years of detoxing the body and getting rid of these chemicals. So then you don't have that burden and that you're less likely for the cancer to come back. So what are some less invasive treatment options then that you could use, whether it could be uh, along with radiation and chemo or separate from that? Okay. So if we understand that um, chemo and radiation, they're both what are called pro-oxidative therapies. Um, so there's several therapies that we can do that work very well in conjunction with these pro-oxidative therapies. So high-dose vitamin C is one of them. And it does get a lot of um, critiques, I'd say, from the medical field because they look at vitamin C as an antioxidant. And they say, for sure, any treatments that are antioxidants throughout chemo and radiation, you have to avoid. However, when you're taking vitamin C orally, um, you can get up to maybe 5,000 milligrams before you get diarrhea or your body, your gut just does not absorb more than that amount in a day. Um, and so th that would be antioxidant doses, which you absolutely avoid during that time. However, in the clinic, we do up to 75,000 milligrams. And we would do that through an IV at a specific drip rate where it actually is a pro-oxidant. So it's very, very synergistic with all mainstream conventional um, cancer therapies. Um, not only does it, it induce what's called apoptosis, so it triggers cell death, it also boosts your immune system. So anyone that is going through chemo radiation that their immune is taking a hit um, and their white blood cells are getting too low, this vitamin C is actually promoting white blood cell production and neutrophil production. So then they can actually continue their care because that's, that's a big issue where People are doing um, conventional therapies and it's destroying their immune that they actually cannot continue with it because their body just is not strong enough. So I highly recommend that if you are doing conventional, you have to do things alongside to keep your immune system high. So high dose vitamin C therapy is something that we would do three times a week. Um, we would want to make sure we're getting adequate dosages. Um, so that's one thing. We also do mistletoe therapy, which is from Europe or in Germany. They they use the plant mistletoe. Um, and so we import it from there. And that has an amazing effect for your immune system as well. So um, not only that, it'll help with quality of life symptoms. So if someone's really tired, um, help with appetite, because that could be suppressed during a lot of the cancer therapies. Um, but the main main thing is boosting boosting the immune system. Um, in the, th in the clinic too, we also do a therapy called PEMF. Um, I don't know if you've heard of PEMF therapy, like P-E-M-F, but it's pulsed electromagnetic frequencies that are emitted, um, to help rebalance how your cells vibrate. So if you think of like, we have 70 trillion cells in the body, um, and they all need to be radiating at a certain frequency or they have a certain vibration rate. Um, and that's how our cells talk to one another. So if you think like our heart is, is all electrical impulse and our brain is all electrical impulses. So they all need to communicate a certain way, even for our immune system 
to perform and our mitochondria to help with ATP production. So this mat is something that patients would lie on up to three times a day, and it helps reset those cells to get to the vibration that's needed to strengthen their immune system. Um, but this mat can also be for um, if someone has anxiety or sleep issues or um, lymphatic stagnation, like lymphedema, it really just helps get circulation moving. And um, we can we can basically set the mat to anything that the patient is experiencing. Um, another big part, another therapy that we do in the clinic is colon hydrotherapy. Um, so this would involve exactly what it sounds like. We clean out the colon. <laughs> <laughs> so people get scared by this at first because they think like there's no way in heck I would want to do this therapy. Um, but it's we use it as an assessment as well. So when we do a colonic in the clinic, um, I don't know if you want me to elaborate on what a colonic is for listeners. Go for it. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to take a glass of water here before I get excited about talking about colon hydrotherapy. <laughs> <laughs> So basically, colon hydrotherapy is very different than what enemas would be. Um, with colonics or colon hydrotherapy, you're with the therapist the whole time, and we're gently putting water into the colon to help help soften up or get rid of any debris that has been sitting there for years. Um, the things that the colon therapists see coming out of these people's guts are almost terrifying. Like, for example, she saw um, a cherry pit that someone swallowed five years ago. So that oh. was sitting in her colon. Um, she's seen parasites. Um, she's actually literally seen like tapeworms coming out. Um, she'll see yeast. So like um, candida coming out, um, see excess bile, um, acidity, um, undigested food. There's just all these things that we can look at what's coming out of this colonic to say, what do we need to do differently to get your body either metabolizing sugars better or get rid of toxicity or break up your food better? Sometimes it's as easy as, okay, not eating while you're in the car and rushed and busy, like chewing your food. Because I've also heard from the colon therapist that she would see like a full um, mushroom, like a full mushroom, portobello, like a portobello mushroom, <laughs> things that just like the person has not even chewed. So how can we have a strong immune system and build our system up if we're not even breaking up the food properly. So um, colon hydrotherapy gets rid of all the garbage that has been accumulating for years um, because that sits in the colon wall and kind of goes into what's called mucoid plaques. Um, so it's getting rid of that garbage, but then also it helps us kind of change up their treatment plan to say, okay, this is what we're seeing. Maybe we need to test you for candida or we need to see... Um, look at digestive function and why is your body not breaking this up or what else can we do just so you can have an overall um, healthy system. And also if you think of about 80% of your immune system is in your colon. So with that high percentage, that needs to be the priority. Um, so for patients that come into the clinic, we literally do colon hydrotherapy sessions every single day. So every day we're getting rid of stuff. And what we see on day one coming out of their colon versus day five is like unbelievable. You would think that there would be nothing left. <laughs> you think it would be completely clear and nothing left, but you're actually cleaning out the gut on such a deep cellular level that um, it's it's a hundred times more productive versus just doing a colonic maybe once a month or um 
if it was just kind of gradual, like every other week they come in and dabble and just they feel immediately better, less bloating, less gas. But from a chronic disease perspective, we have to clean out and detox on a deep cellular level. And that takes intensive care. That's not just, oh, I did a colonic and, you know, it didn't really help. It's no, we have to be um, more aggressive with those treatments. I can't even imagine having that conversation with someone and asking them, have you had like swallowed a cherry pit in the last five years? <laughs> and, <laughs> and they know the time that that's the funny thing. They know they're like, oh, it was my daughter's birthday party five years ago. I don't even eat cherries. And I had one that day. And like, they know the exact time that they <laughs> it was sitting in their, in their system. And so it's terrifying to think. And these are people who say, oh yeah, I have no issues with my gut. I have a bowel movement every day. Like I'm fine. Things are moving. But because we have so many, what are called diverticuli in the gut and pockets in the colon, it is, and even just like the anatomy alone of the colon, how there's the ascending. So we're going against gravity, going against the transcending colon. It's very likely that things are able to get kind of trapped there that you wouldn't even know. So if you're going to the bathroom every single day, at least once a day, do not assume that you have a healthy gut because most of us do not. And the one the one thing I hear all the time is, oh, if, if I have a colonic, does that mean that I'm getting rid of all of the healthy gut bacteria? Does that mean I'm washing away all the good stuff that should be part of my microbiome? And I can guarantee you anyone that has cancer does not have a healthy gut biome. Like it just, there's no way. Like you... That like those sentences can't even go well together. So if we're cleaning out the toxicity and getting rid of the bad, um, we do have a protocol where we're supporting healthy gut microbiome as well, because you don't want to just keep eliminating. We want to replace and get the good stuff in. But for someone just to take a probiotic here and there and not even um, follow clean a gut protocol, um, it's a it's like an uphill battle. You're not you're not going to get to the end result because um, there's just too much, like years of accumulated waste. And even if you don't have a bad diet, like even if you think, okay, no, my diet's pretty good, you just think of all the pesticides and herbicides and glyphosates, all the things that um, we're being exposed to, and even stress, how that throws off the the microbiome and the gut bacteria. So even if you have a healthy, perfect diet and you poop once a day, I can guarantee you, um, you like the average person um, has a lot of work to do. So speaking of having like a poor microbiome, have you done anything with uh, FMTs or fecal matter transplants? I know there's a lot of like you could change people's genetic sequencing and whatnot with that. But have you looked into that at all? Yeah. So if you can imagine getting someone to do a colonic and the, the, fear, <laughs> the fear behind that and then suggesting to have a fecal transplant, they think I'm like from the moon. <laughs> but there's many patients where... I like where they have chronic infections their whole life. They've um, even from a young age had C. diff or um, just things like their immune system is just not working well. I would suggest that to talk to their doctor and say maybe they would be a good candidate for fecal transplants. Um, and they are like the thought of that to the people that I see is just like there. There's like there's no way. <laughs> But I don't know. I guess you have to be desperate enough to want to change, right? Like if there's a possibility that your your microbiome can have a whole new life of its own and transpire into building healthier cells, like me personally, I would be all about it. But I realized a long time ago, I do a lot of things that other patients think are just 
insane. <laughs> but I love that question because that is something that like your whole health relies on your gut microbiome. And, and so that's a big part of what we do in the clinic as well. We would um, send out poop to a lab and we would look at um, what does the good bacteria look like? Um, what's the digestive function from that? Is What are the inflammatory markers? We can see any dysbiosis or yeast or fungus. Um, we get the whole genetic profile of what's going on in the gut so then we can be more specific as well. And then um, as we start wrapping up here, what are some signs that could indicate that you possibly have a bigger issue coming on that could potentially be cancer? So I would say the biggest thing to look out for is change in your everyday habits. So if you all of a sudden see a sore on your arm that just does not seem to heal, um, that could be a flag. Um, if you typically go to the bathroom every day, but now it's every five days and the color looks different, if it's more like a yellow color versus brown, or if you start seeing blood, anything that's like unusual bleeding or discharge from any area of the body. Um, if you feel a lump, obviously that's going to be a big trigger too. I highly recommend all females do breast exams so you can feel yourself what a healthy breast tissue looks like or feels like. So then if you know there's a change there, then that is something to be investigated. If um, you start getting indigestion or difficulty swallowing, um, anything where a lump could be present, um, so if you find, okay, it feels like there's something stuck in my throat or why am I talking now with more of a hoarse voice or a nagging cough, I would not undermine these symptoms. I would look into it. So for people to just be aware of their body, of how it runs on a daily basis and then say, okay, wait, this is maybe different. This has been going on for a month now. Like maybe I should, I highly recommend people get their blood work done at least once every six months. Um, and this could just be a general screening, but talk to your doctor about these symptoms because you want, if, if there's any abnormal cell development going on, um, patients often fear like, oh, I don't want to know if I have cancer, but your chances for success once it's in a single tumor is going to be much higher versus the time it metastasizes and spreads throughout the body. So you want to do these regular screenings, um, do self-breast exams, check for blood in the stool, um, having your pap. Every, I know they changed the rules, which I think is a little bit ridiculous too. In Ontario, it's every three years now to have a cervical pap exam. Um, so just, if you suspect anything that's different, definitely go to your doctor because it's those red flags that um, you want to you want to beat it in the early stages versus letting it progress and thinking, oh, maybe it's not it's not such a big deal. And then I'm gonna put you on the spot here. Um, let's say you just found out that you have cancer. Mm -hmm. Walk us through what a protocol you would put yourself through would look like. Okay, so I this is exactly what happens in the clinic. I treat everyone as if it was um, myself in their position. So whether it was um, myself with the cancer or if it was um, my dad who had cancer, I would say this, I would give them the protocol that I would literally do myself because you cannot fight cancer with a weak protocol. You can't just say, oh, just have more green tea or um, you can't dabble in it. Like it has to be a thousand percent. So personally, what I would do, and this is exactly what we do in the clinic, we would send up, set up basically a nine to five 
everyday strategy on things that you're doing to promote health. So a lot of that is even resting, not feeling like you have to get a million things done in the day. So helping, um, so basically delegating too and saying, okay, who can help me in this? Like there's something going on in my life that I, something's gone wrong. So I need to dedicate everything to my health. So what I would do personally is I would start my morning with a coffee enema. Um, and I actually do those now all the time as well, because that's the best thing to help boost glutathione in the body, liver detoxing, hormone regulation. So I'd start my day with a coffee enema. I would have green, um, like alkalizing juices. I would have tons of like phytochemicals in my, in my ve uh, vegetables. Um, I would do high dose vitamin C therapy. I would literally hook myself up, try to do it all day long if I could. Um, but re realistically, I'd probably just do once a day. Um, I'd be adding these mistletoe injections. I'd be lying on the PEMF mat at least three times a day. Um, and also it's important to get things for lymphatic system. So as much as I wouldn't say intense exercise all the time, if I'm already a stressed or high strung person, I would say, um, just get your body moving, walking more. We have lymphatic, what are called vibe plates in the clinics. We get patients to do that at least three times in the day. Um, there's a lot of research for chiropractic and spine health. Um, so helping with your nervous system, I would get adjusted literally probably six times in the day just to keep my uh, the nerves to my immune system strong and to my gut strong. Um, what am I missing here? I would probably add another enema at night and maybe instead of coffee, I would put in probiotics just to feed the colonocytes and um, immune system or immune cells in my gut. Um, what else would I do? I think that's, that's what my day would look like. I would literally dedicate my cancer treatment plan as if it was a job. I would make it my job because I, I know you have, like, you have to do that. Like if you don't, you know that the cancer will try to outsmart you. So for a probiotic enema, what are you <laughs> doing to make that? And are you using like spore-based probiotics? <laughs> what does that look like? Yeah. So with a general enema, um, I would norm, like always recommend doing coffee just because of the benefits um, of the caffeic acid in, okay, acid in there. But um, I would literally just, if I was doing a probiotic one, I would have maybe like 300 milliliters of sterile water or clean filtered water. I would open up a multi-strain. I would use sporebiotics actually, but I could even do a multi-strain probiotic as well. Um, open up the capsule and I would mix it in the water and then I would hold that into my gut for, I would aim for about 15 minutes. Um, and that is the only way you know that it's getting to the gut. Cause a lot of these other probiotics, I mean, spore biotics are different cause they would be heat resistant from the stomach acid. But a lot of them, you like, if they're not enterocoded, you wonder, is it actually getting to the site that it needs to be? So when you're doing an enema, you're actually guaranteeing that it's, it's getting there. And then uh, coffee enemas, are you focused on the quality of the coffee? Like, are you looking for a mycotoxin free? Of course. Type of coffee? Oh my gosh. And that's kind of a joke here because people think, oh, can I just have my um, Starbucks coffee? Should I bring that in yeah. in my espresso shot? Like, is, but you're right. It has to be organic, um, not roasted. There's a company that we order from where literally they just have coffee um beans that are specific for colon hydrotherapy. So we only do that because it is higher in the caffeic acid. Um, on the label says do not drink because 
the caffeine load is so high. Um, so of course I wanted to test that theory out and see what actually would happen to my body because maybe I could go for a good run after that or see. I I felt like I was going to have a heart attack. Like, so anyone that does these <laughs> who thinks they want more caffeine in their life, this is not what you want to do because it actually is very stressful. And that's why we recommend if you are to drink or have coffee, you do it in the enema form because it's not stressing out your adrenals and your heart and it's not overwhelming to the system. It's just going to open the common bile duct and get liver and gallbladder um, moving. So yeah, good question. Perfect. <laughs> and then uh, do you have any final thoughts that you want to share when it comes to uh, just cancer care and everything around that? Um, well, I know that with your podcast, you, you, a lot of your listeners are very active and exercise based. So I think that is phenomenal. Adding exercise into your daily routine is one of the best things you can do. Not only does it help with manage, uh, managing cortisol and stress, but it helps with um, increasing GLUT4 receptors, decreases insulin resistance, supports dopamine production. So finding some way to get your body moving every single day um, would be a huge cancer prevention plan. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Well, people can find you at InsideHealthClinic.com. Uh, where else can people find you? Um, so we actually do an application only um, for cancer patients specifically. It's And you can apply at LiveLongerAndStronger.ca. Um, but for general health and all other like cancer even prevention um, protocols, go to InsideHealthClinic.com and you can um, find the contact information there. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I think we got a ton of really good info. So for people that may have cancer, know someone that has cancer, uh, this episode is going to be extremely helpful. And then um, uh, do you do any type of telemedicine or do you prefer people coming directly out towards or to your clinic? Yeah, we do both because a lot of times people would fly in from further away or drive in from further away. So we would um, do the initial, they would come into the clinic so I can do a full assessment and do an appropriate plan. But for people who live further, um, we do telemedicine consults as follow-ups and readjusting as their blood work is changing and as their imaging is changing. So the initial one, I'd say you have to come in because I want to uh, make sure we're doing all the assessments properly. But from there on, um, you can be set up over, over the phone. Perfect. Well, thank you, Dr. Lori, for all the work you're doing. You're doing some awesome stuff up there. Amazing. Well, thanks for having me. I know this episode is packed full of information and ideas for cancer treatment. And if you or someone you know has been diagnosed with cancer, I hope you look into more options that are available. You can contact Dr. Lori if you want to work through some different treatment options and find what is best for you. Next week, I have Dr. Kim Bretz on to talk about how different diets can impact our gut health. So let's go learn more about Dr. Kim. I am here with Dr. Kim Bretz. Hey, Dr. Kim, what is one unique thing about you that most people don't know? So I was trying to think of something that was exciting or adventurous or that would be impressive to people. And it turns out I don't really have that. Um, but as it turns out, I am either the luckiest person in the world or the craziest person in the world. But um, my husband reads to me before bed every night. Um, so... <laughs> And it turns out that then I fall asleep super fast. So we have to read young adult fiction because otherwise I can't keep track of what's happening all the time. And he usually has to recap every single day as to what's happened. But I do think sleep is important. So if people are looking for a strategy, it turns out adults are the same as small children and getting read to is an amazing way to fall asleep. 
That is hilarious. And I think it <laughs> falls under crazy and lucky. So lucky you. <laughs> Thanks. Well, what will we be learning about in our interview together? So I believe that health is being able to enjoy the widest variety of foods possible and still feel amazing. So I don't, I just simply do not believe that you have to take away more and more and more foods to be able to have health in your life. And what are your favorite foods or nutrients that you think everyone should get more of in their diet? So this is obviously not exciting, but I really think that people should plan their diets around vegetables rather than anything else. So you want to plan for that first. And if you're going to add any sort of, it's not really new, but I think that having oats as more of a lunch or a dinner food as part of a grain bowl is an amazing addition that will make your gut microorganisms super happy. And what are your top three health tips for anyone who wants to improve their overall wellness? So I would suggest that people are starting to garden a little bit more. We know that the soil microorganisms are amazing for mental health, and it's working through the gut bacteria and the bacteria that we have in the soil. So even if it's just a little planter of basil that's sitting on your desk, or you've decided that you're going to become an urban farmer, um, I think that's amazing. Um, I do think, and especially this is something that I'm seeing with COVID going on right now, but people are not respecting sleep times. And sleep is one of the most vital things to health. And we can actually predict people's flares for uh, gut conditions like um, inflammatory bowel disease. If people are not getting regular sleep, we know that their gut symptoms are going to flare. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because... Um... You know, a lot of people have more time to sleep now, but people are staying up later. Mm-hmm. They're sleeping in. Yep. We're it's, missing it's that. Kind of- yeah, we're missing that melatonin window. Like it's just, it's something that's so vital. And it's mm-hmm. every patient that I'm talking to is just staying up later and later. You don't have to commute in the morning. Half of us aren't showering. Um, there's just <laughs> all this times being cut off all of a sudden that you're like, okay, I'll just stay up later and enjoy a glass or a bottle of wine. And it's just messing up those sleep patterns. So yeah, those are a couple things that I always think about. Yep. You just described almost every single person I know. I know. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> That was a fun interview to record since Dr. Kim is so comfortable with presentations, so you'll get a lot of interesting information out of that episode. And in a couple weeks, we will be opening enrollment for our nutrition coaching. So if you are ready to take your nutrition to the next level and get support through dietary and lifestyle changes, then go to summitforwellness.com nutrition to join the waitlist. I'll be back next week, so keep climbing to the peak of your health.